0: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come back again and again and again to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And this year, while I was at Natural Products West Expo, I met Megan, who basically helped set up this interview with Daniel Lubetsky, who is on the line. And Daniel is the founder of Kind Snack Foods or Kind Healthy Snack Foods. And the book is called Do the Kind Thing. And it's really a very, very interesting book about Daniel's journey, but more importantly, about social entrepreneurship and growing a business. Good day to you, Daniel. How are you doing?
1: Very well, Greg, very pleased to be here
0: well, we're happy to have you on inside personal growth and we're happy to have you take a little bit of time to not only form inform our listeners about your new book but really about your company and how you're changing the world. And I want to let our listeners know a little bit about Daniel. He's a pioneering social entrepreneur known for integrating social objectives with sustainable market-driven forces to forge new business models that build bridges between people. He is also the CEO and founder of Kind Healthy Snacks and the Kind Movement. He's also the founder of PeaceWorks, and one vo- voice and the co-founder of an apparel company called Mayette. Um, Daniel has received numerous awards and recognitions for his humanitarian efforts and his business practices. Among them, he's been named one of America's most promising social entrepreneurs in Business Week, one of 25 responsibility uh, pioneers of time, and one of the creative 50 of the advertising age and one of the hundred most intriguing entrepreneurs at the Goldman Sachs Builders and Innovation Summits. Um, he's received the Entrepreneur of the Year award from both Entrepreneur Magazine and Ernst and Youngs, and he lives in Manhattan with himself and his four kids. Well, Daniel, I'm going to start this. Greg, right,
1: you, you forgot. You forgot to mention my mom's. Uh, she says that I'm the top one person that does not return phone calls uh, to their mother. So please don't forget that.
0: Well, I can say one thing, and and speaking of mothers, and this is in tribute to my mom here for a second, while Daniel mentioned it's his, I just lost my mother February 17th after 93 years on this planet, a little Jewish woman that was the most fantastic lady Uh, around and for all my listeners who had the opportunity to either come in contact with her meter I truly do desperately miss her so much but Daniel you you start this book off with the philosophy about thinking with and and you say that and not letting yourself be swayed with the or mentality as I call it What is it about this philosophy that allowed you to grow your company so quickly when you really think of the and versus the or?
1: I mean, Greg, I actually, just because of how you uh, started this conversation, I should say so much has been on my mind about how we are influenced by the people that touch our lives most importantly tend to be our parents, but everybody that touches our lives shapes us. And in many ways, my dad passed away right when we found it kind. So it was also a very important, very tough moment for me. It was like one of the biggest losses that I ever had in my life. He was my best friend. And in some ways, it was also an incredible moment of personal growth. It was very, very difficult for me to... Relate to that year because I'm sorry that I'm not immediately answering on, on your topic of Anne, but I think this is an even more important thing for all your listeners and all of us that no, are going to deal with these situations. Because during those moments that when, when we're you know dealing with these incredible losses, which in some ways should be the most painful, there's also the incredible opportunities for us to be introspective and to connect to how we're carrying the memories and lessons from our parents inside us. And that year, I remember very well. Not only was I founding kind, but I also was founding one voice. And I was going to temple uh, to do Kaddish two or three times a day and, and doing the prayers for my dad. And it was a meditation that really helped me, like no other time, connect with who I was, what I was looking for, and make sure that I remembered the lessons that my dad taught me and that I made sure that I carried them inside my heart. And it really strengthened me, and in a very, very weird way. It was a very invigorating year, and it's so hard to say that because it was such a painful year, and I was so devastated by the loss of my dad, but in some ways it really was also a year where I really learned to carry my dad inside me so sorry that I
0: well no no, you didn't digress because I think the story you tell about your fathers and we can go back to the question about and in a minute because we might as well stay on this because your father survived Dachau concentration camps during the Holocaust and you mentioned that your father acted toward the guards with compassion even during the darkest moments and this is You know, look, we're talking about compassion here. We're talking about social responsibility. We're talking about building a company that's giving back. And that's one thing that my parents always taught me. That's why I do these podcasts, because I give back to the world in the way I know best how, which is informing them about great people like yourself. What lessons did you learn from your dad about compassion, giving, and how you run your organization today? Because, you know, we're on the topic of parents,
1: well my dad uh, what happened Greg was that my dad was an inmate in Dachau, and it's the there was one German soldier that he told me about that my dad was probably twelve or thirteen years old at the time, and he was he weighed almost nothing, but he was very tall and I, the German soldier must have taken pity on him because when nobody was watching, he threw uh, a potato by my dad's yeah. feet yeah. and that my dad credited with. Sustaining him, probably not just in terms of nourishing him and giving him some nutrients, but also just in giving him some belief in humanity and helped kept him going and It's one of the things that he attributes to his survival from the camps and he carried that throughout his life this uh way to look at life in the darkest of moments to extract from it those positive lessons of the people that rise above that darkness to show the strength to be kind and to show the courage to be kind and kindness and empathy in the question you asked about how that can influence us and help us in our society today they're connected to softness to weakness in fact being kind and and having empathy it takes enormous courage and strength, particularly if you're really going to apply them well. I have not nearly achieved what I would like to achieve. I mean, the way my dad handled himself was really, really exemplary. I'm nothing compared to what he has done, but it was a very big example and inspiration for how he was able to see kindness in everybody and to seek it out and to help catalyze it and bring it about. And I think our efforts are our efforts to do that. And if I may talk for one more second about uh, about making explaining why this is really not just a line, but why this is true, because when you say that it takes strength to be kind or to have empathy, sometimes I think it requires an example. When you are most threatened, when you're in a fight with someone, even someone that you love, you might recoil and retrench and just try to be defensive, or certainly if you're in a commercial uh, dispute or if you're in any environment where you feel threatened, our instinct as human beings is to defend ourselves and to counterattack. And it is in those moments where empathy is the most elusive and the most valuable. Because if you're able to, without sacrificing your strength, but just to be able to listen and to understand the other side, you're much more likely to create value, to to rebuild a relationship, to build understanding, to, to find a solution out of it that will be better for you and for the other side than if you start letting that descend into a tit-for-tat. But it's very, very hard, particularly when you're feeling attacked, to have the strength to... Listen and to be empathetic and it does not mean that you need to give up on your rights or on your positions or on your interests. it means that you just need to have the strength to just be mindful to take a step back understand what is going on and try to Be curious and to listen to the other side and it tends to have a very very uh, Disarming impact and it's not something that I'm that good at but that I'm learning to do
0: so uh, Daniel, as you started off the book with your philosophy about thinking with and and not or, um, and not being swayed by this uh, mentality of or mentality, what, how has that particular and philosophy actually allowed you to grow your company so quickly?
1: Well, first of all, let, let me explain what the and philosophy is and the way, and way of thinking and how it helps us and how we approach life this way. And what we try to do is question false assumptions and false premises. And it's actually much harder to do, particularly when we're used to doing things in life for many, many years or in society for generations. So we assume that that's the way it has been done, that's the way it must be done. And when you can create the most value is when you Go and look at those assumptions and say, hey, does it really have to be done this way? Why are we doing it this way? Why not doing it this way? Why are we assuming that we cannot pursue two objectives that are seemingly at odds, but maybe there's a creative way <clears throat> where upfront we can invest into tackling them at once? And the way to do it is to really understand what are the objectives you have that are seemingly at odds and what are the assumptions underlying your presumption that these things cannot be pursued in tandem and then when you are able to isolate the assumptions and that's actually the hardest part to get to to the underlying assumption then you can say well does this assumption really hold true can modern technology or creativity or something that has changed in society or that was never true but we we glossed over it help us overcome that that uh, bias against pursuing two seemingly incompatible goals. When we're able to do it, we create enormous value for society. And a lot of industries that have been created and a lot of companies that have been created and a lot of medical solutions stem from thinking with ant, from from tackling things in a creative way and thinking outside of the box.
0: Now, one of the things that you're proud of, obviously, is your social responsibility, and you've developed this socially responsible organization and really a culture that I can tell just by dealing with Megan and the folks that work with you that's permeated with, as you say on the outside of the book, passion, purposefulness, boundlessness. Um, and these are this is conveyed in the individual. What makes your team so committed to your cause and how were you able to grow this organization in this direction?
1: I mean, I think this is a, a, a an organism that's living and that every piece of it, you know, feeds into slowly and surely. And I think it, the sincerity of purpose has helped us continue growing it in a very authentic way over many years. So it's taken time. It doesn't happen overnight. But I think it starts with the good ingredients, right? First, you have the most amazing people that, you know, I was in a meeting with my board a couple of weeks ago, and somehow in the conversation, I started saying, you know what, I actually cannot think of one single jerk in our company. I mean, I cannot think that there's anybody that I find really unpleasant or a bad person or just someone that you don't want to go to lunch or then I really don't think we have jerks. And then one, my board member, Fred Shuffle, looked at me and said, yeah, that's because you're the one. But, you know, other than me as the, 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 the jerk in the company, um, there really is. An incredible mechanism that just happens where when we are interviewing people, we are able to identify people that are just good human beings and that care about each other. We're building a culture where being united and working towards a a shared set of values and goals really, really helps us transcend all this political thing. Like in our company, there's no petty politics, there's not backdoor gossip, and those things really help create a very positive environment. And we really try to live by our values of encouraging each other to treat each other with dignity and respect and kindness and transparency. And we're building our ownership culture where it's not just that financially our team members have a stake in our upside and financially they can benefit from, from creating equity. It's a mindset of everybody having the right to raise a hand and, and disagree and everybody having the right to challenge me or anybody else about any of our assumptions and creating this democratic thinking culture where it doesn't matter your level of experience. If you have a fresh idea, we really, really cherish it. And if you have the courage to stand up and say something, even if we end up disagreeing, we just love the fact that you, that you, you know, stood for what you believed in. And all of those things combined uh, to help us. I I definitely also think that our social mission gives us meaning. And I actually tend to underestimate how inspiring uh, it can be to our team. I've always thought that People appreciate being working for a company that has those values, but our team, even without me knowing it, a couple weeks ago did a survey, an internal survey, where they asked team members a few key questions about our social mission, and I was shocked to hear how deeply they connected to this stuff. One of the questions that sticks out to me, they asked, since joining Kind, the company, how much has... Being mindful about kindness increased in in your daily life, and 91% of our team members responded that that it was more top of mind for them. And what I love about that is it really connects with how I've uh, grown from from kind. You mentioned earlier, Greg, that when you did that exercise with sending those greeting cards to help patients, you found that the people that were most getting the most out of it were the people actually doing the kind act. And that's why kindness is magical, right, because it helps not just the person in need that you're helping out, but also it makes the person doing the kinding be happier, makes them feel better about themselves. And the opportunity to be very mindful about these things and to learn how to catalyze and inspire kindness without interfering with the authenticity and the beauty of it, really has made me be more conscious about the opportunities day in, day out, and I'm as imperfect as anybody can be, but I love the fact that because I'm surrounded by these people and by these programs and by uh, the different programs that we try to support and the people who are in greatest need and most vulnerable, it just gives me so much more meaning and it makes it be more top of mind for me.
0: Well, I love the book, and one of the things that it's really very apparent in the book, are your tenets. And, and one of the tenants you discuss is grit. You mentioned that we need to teach young people, uh, don't be afraid to fail, but be afraid not to try. Um, how important was that lesson in your life? Because I know you had plenty of failures. And what do you want to tell anyone listening to this podcast about failure and experiences?
1: I mean, the first thing I would say is that I really don't know enough. I I, I find this topic fascinating, and I know that there's a lot of work being done on it. And I don't think any of us in society truly, truly can answer whether you're born with grit or whether you can teach it. Of course you can teach it to some degree, but how much of it is already innate, I, I just don't know. I have four children now, and they have different personalities. And I do try to help, you know, stretch them in the areas where they can be stretched and compliment them. But at the end of the day, I also just want to love them and accept them for exactly who they are. And some people are more tenacious than others. But I do think that in our culture, there's a thousand things that we do every day that end up creating these biases without us realizing it. And if we are commending effort as opposed to results, we're going to help our kids be more comfortable taking those risks. And if we continuously hammer to them that what's important is to try and that independent of their results, they can just always do their best they can and then that's going to give them peace and give us all the pride that we want. I think that's a very important lesson.
0: Well, obviously, determination is is a really big one. And another thing that you talk about in this brand, which this kind brand has just taken off so amazingly um, as a health food snack, snack, and you say that your brand gets defined by what you choose to not do as much as by what you choose to do. What do you mean by that statement? Yeah, I mean,
1: this is also an extrapolation from other people far smarter than me. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, maxims is that a brand is a promise and a great brand is a promise well kept. And you really need to be true to yourself and understand what to do and what not to do. And if you try to be everything to everybody and constantly chase fads or reinvent yourself based on things that you see other people doing, then you end up going to be meaningless because your consumer is not going to understand what you stand for. And Michael Porter once also said that strategy is what not to do. And similarly, when you're building a brand, you need to remember what are the things that are not things you are going to pursue. When you develop products, it's a very, very prime example of the, the temptation to go in so many different directions. Our team is so creative, and we have so many needs in society for better foods that you can recognize the ingredients of what you're eating and that are closer to nature and that are really wholesome and convenient and tasty and helpful. And there's just so much need in society for healthier snacks, and there's just so many ideas that our team has for things we could do, and it's very tempting for us to want to do more than we can chew on or to want to do more than our brand stands for, because there's a lot of cool ideas that are just not kind brand ideas. Somebody else should pursue them, but if they don't fit with the promise we made to ourselves of precisely what our brand is going to stand for, uh, then we shouldn't do it. Like One of our promises is to make products with ingredients that you can see and pronounce, and there are actually some cool snacks that I've seen out there and, and categories that are in existence where you cannot see or pronounce the products. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have a place in society and in, and in our um, nutrition. It just means they should not be kind products. And there are so many different ways to tackle uh, new product development and innovation and it's really important to bear in mind the promise that you made your, to your consumers and to say, okay, if we're not going to be the best at what we do it let's just not do it. It's also, Greg, early on in my career, I when I was 25 years old and right out of law school, my first food company, I was jumping left and right, trying to do all these different PeaceWorks ventures to, to use business, to bring neighbors together. And I was doing ventures in all these different places, in all these different type of categories. And I was not being sufficiently obsessive about quality, and I took my consumers for granted and i I paid the price for doing so. I really hurt my earlier brands, and so when we launched Kind, I promised myself that we were never going to launch anything that was just good enough. It had to always exceed consumers expectations. We obsess about quality and if we if there 's a product that 's going to just be a me too Competitor in an existing category, we're not going to do it. We do not need to be a me-too brand. We need to bring something fresh to society that's differentiated, that's that's really, really innovative, and that's really making this uh, a better category and a better world and helping people's diets. And otherwise, if we're just going to be the number twenty or the number two or number three and not really, really raise the bar in in, in whatever category we enter, we just want to have the discipline to say, okay. These ones should be done by someone else, not by us.
0: Well, one of the things about Kind is, you know, you you have built this incredible company and kudos to you. And, you know, your past experiences are important in the journey of life to get to where you are today. And without having those failures, uh, you couldn't have helped to build the success that you have today. And that you state that a social mission should never serve as a crutch to bypass quality, nor serve as a basis on which to attract customers. You state that the the mission does not sell the product. The product sells the product. Now, we see a lot of this uh, going on, but we also see the flip side. Can you explain uh, for what we see in some organizations that are attempting to lean on what I would call a very flimsy kind of foundation?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two separate things. There's well-intentioned companies and not well-intentioned companies or ventures. So, of course, if someone's not well-intentioned, uh, then, you know, I think consumers are very sophisticated. They will figure it out. But even well-intentioned uh, companies, and I think most fall under this rubric, there are people that maybe cut corners and are, are not sincere about their mission, and then the the marketplace will figure that out, but even when you're sincere, you need to be very careful with a social mission. A social mission has enormous power, but it it also is a power that can be very elusive if you you know take advantage of it or try to manipulate it or try to um, or un, unintentionally misuse it and Early on when we were starting my first company, Peaceworks, I was so passionate about the concept of bringing Neighbors in conflict regions to work together, Arabs and Israelis, or Sinhalese and Tamils in Sri Lanka, or Indonesian Muslim, Christian, and Buddhist women. That that I really talked a lot about the social mission, and uh, in in the book I talk a little bit in the first chapter about a very very poignant example uh, of how I really really <laughs> focused almost exclusively on the social mission and what I found was that people loved the social mission, but then they walked on. And they all praised it and made us, felt good that we were doing that, but then they assumed that maybe there was something wrong with the product because all I was talking about was the social mission. And after, you know, 10 years of of, of lessons in that, when we launched Kind, we, we made sure that any social mission we have will not be the front part of the selling story, that... Like I said, we the product must sell the product, and we know that what people buy our products for. As much as the social mission of inspiring kindness and reinventing capitalism is is exciting to us, the reason people are buying Kind Bars is because delicious and nutritious. And that is, those are the two overwhelming uh, answers that people give us on why they choose Kind, and so that is what we focus on when presenting our products to them. And in fact, up until the launch of this book, we had so obsessively focused on not talking about the social mission that maybe we, you know, the pendulum shifted to find the other direction. Nobody knew about our social mission. And that was one of the reasons, besides giving back to the community and to social entrepreneurs with with learning from my failures, why I also wanted to take the opportunity to write this book so that we could start talking about our vision for what we're trying to create as a movement, but I do still think that it's a very, very tenuous situation. You, you need to be careful and not overshoot because if you start only talking about your social mission, then you're going to lose consumers who are going to wonder if you've lost focus on what they're buying your products first and foremost for, which is to fit their their lifestyle needs.
0: Well, along that line, and for all of my entrepreneurs out there and social entrepreneurs. You know, you this company got to a point in 2007, and you speak about it in the book, where you were having this huge 100% growth. And you obviously, during this period of time, you had to take on investors, uh, you, had to try, you even had an issue with Walmart, you were trying to take on bigger accounts, couldn't actually, uh, it wasn't quite the right match at the time. Um, you've had a lot of pains in your growth. And for a lot of people that are listening out there, they'd want to know, you know, what would you recommend um, an organization that's going through tremendous growth to actually do? What are two or three things that you think they need to look at? I mean, if they were looking at a dashboard, Daniel, saying, great, you know, I've got all this great growth, but I still have to pay attention to what's most important here, which is the culture of my people, the passion, the product, the quality. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? I think
1: one of them is that periods of rapid change, whether it's great growth or great tension or any accelerated issue, also provide you with both great opportunities but also great threats because growth can hide mediocrity. There may be things that you're doing wrong that you may not realize because the growth is eclipsing these other pieces of your business or of your operation. So I think it's the time to be most introspective and most self-critical and not just say, hey, we're growing, don't complain, let's keep going. I think it's very important to maintain your antennas up and and your radars on and I don't know if I, I I talk in the book about how I use something called Danielisms because I make all these mistakes in my expressions, so I don't know if I just use those expressions right, but you need to you need to really, really not get cocky and self assured and not think that you're invincible and and particularly in those moments of great success, I think it's when it' most behooves you to have the humility to criticize yourself and to question you know, every aspect of what you're doing and, and make sure that you're doing it the right way. And it's actually the opposite. When when you're having a very humbling failure, that's when you need to cut yourself more slack and give yourself more credit and not be so hard on yourself. But when you're succeeding, you can afford to be criticizing yourself.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an important element is you're obviously always trying to improve and you're trying to create, as you have, a, a wonderful culture here for the people to work in and build new products and better products for your consumers um, all at once, while at the same time experience, as you have said in the book, just tremendous cash challenges trying to get through it. Um, And it is an amazing story. And for all of my listeners, I want to encourage them um, to truly go out and get your book. For those who haven't tried A Kind Bar, which I can hardly believe that there's anyone listening to this podcast that probably hasn't had a kind bar but if you haven't go out into your local health food store or whole foods or anywhere and get some of the kind bars they've got i don't know how many skews you have now daniel but it seems like a hundred of them to me because i see them all over the place and i always see more coming out and i really appreciate that because you're f- filling a market need that needs to be filled with healthy snacks um and for my listeners again the book is called do the kind thing, and we've been on with Daniel Lubatsky. He is the founder and CEO of the organization. Um, the book is on sale now. We'll put links to Amazon and all the best booksellers. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about? You know, I know that they can find uh, your website at www.kindsnacks.com. There you'll find um, all kinds of opportunities to engage, uh, store, locator, uh, find out more about the kind movement, read the great stories about how they're actually helping others through their kind movement. Um, Daniel, anything else you want to tell our listeners?
1: Greg, I guess because the audience is, as you explained to me, made up of uh, social entrepreneurs and young executives that are trying to shape their careers and maybe shaping their, their ventures. I'll say two, I'll encourage two particular areas where they might be really interested to read about in the book. Um, One of them is the importance of separating the research and development phase in your ventures from the execution phase. I call the first one the skeptic and the second one the evangelist phase. And it's very, I talk a lot more about it in the book, and it's a really, really important area because you can really get into a lot of trouble if you don't do both of those things in a totally separate way. The early phase is a, is a period for being very, very skeptical about your own ideas, doing a ton of research, questioning every one of your assumptions and making really sure that you've got what it takes, that your idea makes sense. And that, and that really it's worth pursuing. And you should not be afraid to walk away from it if you conclude that it's not the right idea. It's quite the opposite. You have to be very, very comfortable with standing back and really analyzing it on its merits. And then if you do that you know, research on the fire and you really, really are sure that this makes sense, then at one point you flip a switch inside your brain and then you just become an evangelist and then when you get to the execution point, if you get to execution point, because you now know that you did the research and you're convinced that this makes sense. Then at that point, you cannot allow any doubt to, you know, get into your head. You have to just execute and let nobody stop you or, or, or weaken your determination to get to the finish line. And I talk a lot more about tools to, to deal with those two different phases because they're very, very different. And, uh, very distinct. And the last thing I'll say is Kind, I'm very blessed, has been uh, successful. And the interesting thing is that right before launching Kind, right before Kind just took off, it was one of the toughest and darkest moments for me in my career in terms of the lack of success or in terms of the strains that I was having between financial pressures and all these other sorts of pressures and i talk about it in the book also but it's really really important that if you really do believe in something and you convinced that it makes sense that you have that grit we talked about and that endurance to stay on because sometimes right before the greatest light you know there's that darkness and like mm-hmm. that expression about
0: the dawn before the light or however you said it in, English. in the darkness before the dawn yes it definitely can be that way I mean it, uh, oftentimes that's the time when spirit is speaking with you the most when you're receiving and can be the most receptive to your messages as you said the loss of your father the starting of this company um the willingness and the desire to create this company in a way that was completely different than you operated but also with these 10 tenets which are so important in my mind and I see repeated many times in companies that have been successful like yours. Um, Daniel, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and you spending a few minutes of your time with our listeners um, to speak about your new book. And I am as passionate about this new book as anybody. Um, go out to my listening audience and do the kind thing. Um, buy one of the kind books a 100% of these proceeds. Um, actually go back to helping people who are doing kind things. Right, Daniel?
1: That's correct. We're donating 100% of our proceeds to help those in, in true need and help organizations that are helping those in true need.
0: Yeah, and if you want to read a few of the stories, there's stories up at the website, um, so you can actually go to his website and read some of the stories about how they're helping people. Daniel, pleasure having you on. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth.
1: Thank you for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it.